The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily Bloomberg iHeart podcast. And I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, Managing Editor of Crypto for Bloomberg News. It's Thursday, January 12th. It's been a tough winter for Bitcoin miners. As prices of the largest token have fallen from their record highs, There have been bankruptcies and warnings of potential bankruptcy, billions of dollars in losses, forced sales of equipment, regulatory uncertainty in states like New York, increased criticism of the energy consumption associated with the sector. The list goes on. One miner even tried to change its name to minimize its association with the sector. Counterintuitive? You bet. The company formerly known as Riot Blockchain changed its name to Riot Platforms after seeing its share price fall around 85% in 2022. So what hope is there for Bitcoin miners in 2023? To break down the latest, I'm joined by Bloomberg reporter David Pan. It will be less likely for somebody who haven't been involved in Bitcoin mining and come to a foreign country and to mine Bitcoin. And by Mason Jappa. If your state or your country pushes out a moratorium or bans mining, as we've seen happen, not just in China, it's happened in Sweden and Norway, it puts you out of business, right? Mason is the CEO and founder of Blockware Solutions, a company that specializes in mining services. David, welcome back to the podcast. Mason, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? No, thanks for having me on today. Excited to talk all things Bitcoin mining, energy markets. It's a really interesting time that's taking place. So I'm Mason Jappa, the CEO and founder of Blockware Solutions. I started Blockware Solutions in 2017. Uh, Prior to that, I got into Bitcoin in 2013 and began mining um, at a small industrial scale in 2015. Part of the thesis of why I founded Blockware was I wanted to bring Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining to North America. At the time of 2017 and 2015, you saw upwards of 70, even greater than 80% of mining centralized in China. So we saw the need of decentralizing hash rate, decentralizing Bitcoin, and bringing that to other areas of the world. And that was a goal of mine um, when I founded the company. So... This being a podcast about crypto, I think we're at the point in the cycle where most of our listeners do know what Bitcoin is. But I'm still not sure that most people understand what Bitcoin mining is. What is your kind of really short explanation of exactly what it is that Bitcoin miners do? 
So think of mining as the backbone of the network. We're the infrastructure. We're monetizing energy using servers and systems. And, and think about it just like the back end of artificial intelligence or the back end of your, your phone. It requires data. So miners are minting the new currency through a block subsidy. And that's simply, you know, every 10 minutes a new block is released. Miners are minting the new subsidy. And as well, we're processing the transactions. Mm -hmm. And so when Mason sends one Bitcoin to David, someone has to say, yes, this Bitcoin existed here and transfer it and mint the transaction on the blockchain. So the miners are the one that are minting the new transactions on the ledger and minting the new currency. Now, what's interesting and perhaps challenging for the market about that is, as Mason has described it, Bitcoin transactions could not exist if miners don't exist. And yet, David, so much of your reporting in 2022 has been about the existential crisis facing Bitcoin miners, at least from a financial perspective right now. What's been happening in the market? So the Bitcoin miners, they realized they overleveraged um, throughout the whole 2022. They borrowed billions of dollars from debt financing, equity sales. And now they realize that they can't fulfill the debt obligations to pay the interest payments every month. We've seen some mining companies filing for bankruptcy. Some of these other mining companies, they are renegotiating their long terms with the lenders mm -hmm. and uh, selling new shares. So they're coping with the situation. They're trying to survive. If, you know, 2021, 2022, it was like the golden year for early 2022. Early it was 2022. Our, <laughs> It was a golden year of uh, Bitcoin mining, but now I think they're in the survival mode. And Mason, functionally speaking, like what does survival mode really mean? Yeah, uh, building off David's point, I, th I think we, you know, in, it's important to look at an event in, in June 2020. That's when we saw the Chinese, you know, officially ban mining. So you saw an opportunity and an, and an arbitrage for many people to reap high Bitcoin rewards. So the players that were mining then we're seeing revenues of increases of 100 to 150 percent. So that there was a golden age from June until I'd say like early, you know, 2022. That's like a golden window yeah, more than yeah. an age. Yeah, exactly. Um, but beyond that, what we're seeing now is a, an opportunity for for players to have another chance of reentrance. Right. You're seeing distressed assets hit the marketplace. So right now, um, a lot of these people that over leveraged and that being some of the largest miners, some small miners, some medium sized miners, they're unable to pay their interest. There was two problems with the over leverage. The first problem is a lot of these miners collateralized the underlying asset, which was the mining rig itself, mm -hmm. at points when the, the rig itself was trading at 10 times the amount that it's value that it's worth now. So you said something there that's really important, which is like the mining rig, which is basically a fancy computer. You're correct. Yeah. Okay. We call them ASICs. So just think of ASICs as, you know, purpose-built and designed servers, high compute servers that are purpose-built to mine Bitcoin. They cannot be repurposed. There's other type of miners that mine altcoins that can be repurposed, and those can be used for AI, intelligence, other things. Got it. So no repurposing. And what happened was they locked in their interest loans or their or their uh, loans or collateralized loans at, at a time when the rigs were worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And our industry was naturally also viewed as risky. So some of the interest rates percentages that they locked in could range anywhere from 15 to 40 percent. So if you locked in a high strike point of 10 times the value of, a, of its worth now with a high interest rate, 
you would need Bitcoin to be $100,000 for you to be profitable. And Bitcoin right now is $17,000. Yes, yeah. Ish. Yes, correct. So a lot of those players are trying to unwind. What we're seeing is interesting. Um, there, there's bid sales, there's uh, creditors that are taking repossession of their miners and renegotiating loans, there's bankruptcies. But with that, you're seeing a lot of distressed assets available. So not only the mining rigs, but these are power purchase agreements and mm -hmm. energy contracts. These are buildings, these are transformers and switch gears. This is high-powered electrical infrastructure that is used to power America. So you're seeing the opportunity to buy these assets at uh, pennies on the dollar. Now, David, my question for you is, who's out there to buy any of this? That's actually a, a million-dollar question for all the sellers because there aren't many buyers out there right now. If you look at the mining rigs market, it's a glut of, mm -hmm. of like, it's flooded the market last year. There are just so many used machines. that, And at the same time, the manufacturer, Bitmain, they keep producing new machines as well. So, like, there's, like, a massive demand that cannot be you know, digested by all of this. Is anything good happening in this industry? <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. So hash rate, so looking at the reverse, hash rate is at an all-time high. What's a hash rate? So um, that is the total network compute. So that's a summary of every single Bitcoin server in existence. And in fact, it's near all-time high. We're expected to go up another 10%. So that means that the network is more secure than ever. And if you can trace where the hash rate is coming from or computational power, it's all over the world. Mm -hmm. So we actually succeeded in decentralization. We succeeded in hash rate growing to a level where the network is more secure than ever and, and less vulnerable against attacks. It would literally take you two to three years to accumulate the amount of hash rate you need to attack Bitcoin, which requires a 51% control of, of computational power. So One that, particular kind of attack on the yes, Bitcoin network. Yeah. One, and you're not, you can't rewrite Bitcoin, and that's what I love about it. Its monetary policy is dictated by code, and no one can change that code. It's, and, and the transactions are permanently minted on the ledger. So something that David was asking, you know, the million-dollar answer, you know, who's buying these assets? Well, actually, I've been seeing a reemergence of Chinese. Um, a lot of them, you know, were forced out and left the markets and, and sold all their machines but a lot of the, the people I've been transacting with on both sides are the Chinese. So they took their exit. They actually sold, you know, not at the worst time compared to today's market. So they have money and they're buying these assets and building in the, in the United States or in Canada or where these distressed assets are. So that's actually who I'm seeing on the buy side. The sell side is all these large over leveraged players. Mm -hmm. Up next, more from Mason Joppa and David Pan on what the new year could mean for crypto mining. We'll be right back. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. And David, you've reported a lot on, you know, Chinese companies or folks who were formerly at companies in China setting up shop in places like Texas. What are some of the other, if any, hubs that are emerging in the United States? Definitely um, 
Oklahoma and Georgia and all these southern states that have similar you know, characteristics as Texas in terms of regulations and energy sources. Which is to say a relatively lenient <laughs> regulatory structure and relatively inexpensive energy. Relatively cheaper energy, you know, um, because they're neighbor states and, and it's also easier for the miners to travel across and to see the sites and to build out infrastructure. So... What Mason just said is in terms of who is buying right now, is he seeing interest from, you know, Chinese companies Mm -hmm. or folks who are affiliated with Chinese companies? Are these the same people who had fled China after the first crackdown in 2020? Or is this kind of another generation? Uh, I would say the majority of them used to be miners in China. And then I think it will be less likely for somebody who haven't been involved in Bitcoin mining and come to a foreign country and to mine Bitcoin. So a lot of the Chinese miners, they really do not want to abandon all of their, mm-hmm. like the expertise they, they've accumulated over the years when they were mining Bitcoin in China. The majority of them used to be miners in China as well. In contrast to what we were seeing in some of the states that you mentioned, we have places like New York, right, which has now said that at least for the next couple of years, that any miners that rely on fossil fuels to power their operations aren't going to be welcomed with open arms or at all in the state. There are a couple of tensions that we're seeing here, which is one, is it actually possible for a Bitcoin miner to be environmentally friendly? And two, are folks eventually going to run out of states to kind of go to. So Mason, I'd like you to tackle the the state's question, which is outside of the Texases, the Kentuckys, the Oklahomas, like who else might emerge as a hub for Bitcoin miners? Yeah, it's a great question. And Kentucky is actually the only state in the United States that has a House and Senate bill passed to incentivize miners to mine there. My company has been working close with West Virginia, Mm -hmm. um, and they are looking to push policy and incentives to lure miners there. And so you see there's a lot of states that have, you know, they were coal states, so they had large manufacturing plants like West Virginia that have all these um, unused infrastructure assets that can be repurposed for miners. I think we'll see states push back. The New Yorks, there's some counties in the state of Washington that are putting moratoriums against, you know, certain counties to push out miners. A lot of miners are flocking to the cheapest energy, Mm -hmm. right? So when you have really strong grids and you have uh, the ability to produce energy, whether it's a nuclear plant or in Texas, a lot of it's you know natural gas and wind or solar. Um, if that's present, then you're going to have cheaper energy. 95% of costs associated with mining is energy. So California is just out of the question because it's so expensive. And the largest nuclear plant almost just went under there. You know, I can't imagine the repercussions if that took place. So I'd say that, you know, the Midwest seems to be a good place to be, and they're they're looking to attract, and including Texas. Um, other than that, you know, it's it's you know wherever you can find the cheapest energy. Oh, one state I missed too is Pennsylvania. There's a lot of miners that are setting up shop in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania was really heavily reliant on natural gas, mm-hmm. and we saw the spikes from the trade wars between China of natural gas price. So it's that finally started to taper down. So if that goes down a little bit, I think that that'll be another really emerging state. And David, are there other types of initiatives that might help address some of the criticisms that you hear from folks like the ones in New York? I think one of the possible solutions will be try to find more renewable energy sources like hydropower. Back in the days when China was still allowing Bitcoin mining, actually, especially in the rainy season in the summer, like the majority of the energy sources for Bitcoin mining, 
it was hydro, like、mm-hmm. a you know, like a small Bitcoin mining sites built along the riverbank, you know, in South China. And then I think one of the trends we're seeing is like、uh, there's really rich hydro power in South America right now, in Paraguay and even in Argentina and in Brazil. There are massive, massive、uh, dams that generate a lot of electricity. Some of these Bitcoin mining farms they are located、uh, close to the dams, and similar、uh, model. To what the Chinese miners had been doing back in the days, Mason. If someone were listening to this podcast on the off chance and thinking, "Oh, maybe I should get into Bitcoin mining," what what's your number one piece of advice for them? Number one piece of advice right now, I would、uh, first off go to a location that has low cost energy,、um, and tied directly to number one is political risk. That, you know that existential risk that if your state or your country pushes out a moratorium or bans mining, as we've seen happen, not just in China, it's happened in Sweden and Norway and in, in different counties, it puts you out of business, right? So you need to focus on cheap energy tied with good politics, and as long as you have that, you know the rest is prevalence. You can find your miners, you can find the infrastructure you need at you know pennies on the dollar. And David, just as a closing note, what are some of the trends you expect to be reporting on in 2023? I don't want to tape off my competitors, <laughs> but,、uh, but we'll continue to <laughs> we'll continue to monitor all the debt that the miners have, and also, you know, as we get close to the halving, like we really need to re-exam the implications of that event because、mm-hmm. that will cut. Minor revenue for miners in half in a very short period of time. So, like, we need to re-exam the implications of that as well. Great, thank you both for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That was Mason Japa, CEO and founder of Blockware Solutions, and Bloomberg reporter David Pan. You can find more of David's reporting in the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com. And for more, be sure to check out our twice-weekly newsletter, which is also called Bloomberg Crypto. This is Bloomberg Crypto, a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show to crypto at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of Bloomberg Crypto is Vicky Vergolina. Our senior producer is Janet Babin. Our producers are Mohammed Farouk and Sharon Barrero. Our associate producers are Ty Butler and Moses Ondam. Desta Wonderad is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidran. I'm Stacy Marie Ishmael. We'll be back tomorrow. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies, from big tech to startups, will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions, alongside Snap's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond. OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com/techsf.